It's your Tuesday, Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back for another day, even if I'm not glad to talk about some of the things I'm going to be forced to talk about on this show. We'll get to the Vikings in a little bit. Happy to talk about them for sure. Seven and one this season. Andrew Kramer joins me in a little bit to uh, to break down the film from Sunday's win over Washington. Take a look at what TJ Hawkinson was able to do in his debut and look at some surprising defensive emergences for the Vikings as well. We'd rather have the Vikings be um, them than a lot of other teams in the NFL this year at 7-1. One of those teams, certainly the Indianapolis Colts, who made one of the most head-scratching moves in modern NFL history. Uh, so strange, so uh, so weird. You would think perhaps Jim Ursay owned Twitter and not the Colts, but instead here we are with their coaching move in the last couple of days. We'll get to that. We'll get to the end of the Miguel Sano era with the Twins. First, though, we got to start with basketball. i got to talk about the Timberwolves at the jump because I just finished watching, um, I finished watching Monday night's game a little bit late, and it's just what a disgusting display of basketball it was. It was, it was so bad. I started fast-forwarding. The recording in the second quarter when they were down, what, 25, 26 points at one point, like 58, 33. Um, couldn't defend the three-point line, had no offensive identity, had no clue what they wanted to do, had no energy. Uh, it's just not working right now. And if you were inclined to blame the Rudy Gobert trade, that wasn't the problem because Rudy Gobert out for the second straight game health and safety protocol. So that's not the problem in this game. The problem is this team lacks something right now, and I'm having a hard time putting my finger on it. Chris Finch is having a hard time putting his finger on it. He did at least take some ownership of it uh, to a certain degree tonight. First, though, he said, I'm reading from Chris Hines' game story, we've got to be better, we've got to play harder for longer and more consistently too many guys are out there worried about what's going on for them that night. Not sure who that is pointed at, but I've got some ideas. Anthony Edwards, terrible in this game, 5 of 14, 16 points. Uh, he was a minus 5, just didn't really look like he had any flow to his game at all. Jaden McDaniels fouls out in 17 minutes. Those guys have not been good this season, especially Jaden McDaniels. Um, Carl Anthony Towns was fine in this game, but he was he was a no-show until it kind of got out of hand. D'Angelo Russell, this one we can't really blame on D'Lo, 14-8. and eight. The bench was pretty bad in this game. When the bench has been bad this year, that's a bad sign because they've by and large been the better unit for them. So where do you go from here? Um, that was the interesting part because Chris Finch also uh, had this to say after the game, uh, reading again from Chris Hines' game story. Um, taking a little shot at himself is right now I think we've got to find combinations of guys that have to play much harder give themselves up to what we're trying to do and I need to give them some more solutions right now that's on me and I agree with that I don't think Chris Finch has done a very good job coaching this team this season so it adds up to a five and six start a 120-107 loss at home to the Knicks fans largely left after the third quarter of this game it was really out of hand at that point they cut into the deficit a little bit in the fourth, but really no threat to come back and win that game. So I don't know what what to say about this other than I can't tell if it's chemistry right now or I can't tell if everybody in the starting lineup is 
overrated by a half measure, even when Rudy Gobert is in there. Are these guys all just a little bit worse than we think they are, even if they are all good players? I'm starting to trying to put my finger on that at this point. Do they all think they're a little bit better than they really are, than we really maybe thought they were at a certain point? Is this lineup really as good as we thought? I think they've got a lot to prove, and they've got some tough games coming up. I don't know what to expect in those games. I don't think Chris Finch knows what to expect. What I do know is this. They are not a fun watch right now on a consistent basis. Whenever they run into a team that has any sort of cohesion, they look completely helpless like they did on Monday night, and it is not a fun watch right now. Maybe we need to divert our attention to the Gophers basketball teams. The men won 61-60. Dawson Garcia, 23 points in his Gophers debut. Awfully good there. They squeaked out that win. Gophers women win by 30, a much bigger win for them. Maybe that is where we need to put our basketball attention, at least for the time being, at least until the Timberwolves show some semblance of cohesion on this young season. Until then, I don't know what to do. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what. I don't. I don't think they're worth watching right now. Until they figure something out more, because that game Monday night was about as painful as it gets. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With twenty four seven gaming, the good times never have to end, and you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars, or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. All right, happy to have Andrew Kramer back on Daily Delivery with me. Andrew, of course, covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune, does a great job on the Access Vikings podcast as well. We'll have one of those coming up a little later on this week with Ben Gessling as well. But Andrew, when we look at the film from the 20-17 to 17 win over Washington, um, for, for a game that didn't have a ton of you know scoring, didn't have a ton of action, there's a lot to pick through in this game. In particular, um, TJ Hawkinson makes his debut for the Vikings, makes nine catches, for 70 yards, didn't really have a lot of explosive plays, but had, you know, got pushed the ball, you know, down the field on some of those intermediate routes that I think will, will help them. What, what did you see from his debut that stood out to you? Yeah, just an incredible debut. I don't think anybody could really see that coming playing 91% of the snaps. Um, he missed just six plays in the entire game, three of them on the opening drive when clearly the coaching staff was trying to just ease him in there. And then they said, Oh, clearly you're comfortable enough. Let's just keep riding you. Um, and, and the dynamic that he added to this offense was, it was obvious right out of the gate. Kirk's second throw goes for 19 yards to Hawkinson to convert third and five. It's a cover two. the commanders are playing really soft and, and having the first level of the defense right along the first down marker. And then two safeties way deep. Um, and they're doing that over a bunch set of that I, I imagine the Vikings are going to use a lot, where it's Hawkinson on the front of the bunch with Jefferson on one side, Thielen on the other. All three of those guys on the same side of the field, the coverage is going to be pretty deep over the top of them. Hawkinson runs just a quick dig, ends up catching it. Easy pitch and catch to a six foot five guy for Kirk Cousins. You can't really overthrow him too easily. Um, and those are the situations that I imagine is, is going to be a headache for opposing defenses against this Vikings team. And, and the fact that you saw it so quickly for, for them with Hawkinson is a good sign that he's just going to continue to get more comfortable and they're going to continue to find different ways to use him 
Um, and they obviously had ways to use him right away in this one. Did they use him differently than they had been using Irv Smith Jr. before he got hurt, or did they use him similarly, but he's just a bigger target, maybe a better target? Yeah, I think a little bit of both. I think they did use him differently in terms of targeting him more downfield. They looked, he was more of the first or second option further downfield in ways that we just didn't see from Irv Smith when he was healthy or Johnny Munt. Um, he is going to add that kind of seam stretching threat, the, the one that uh, can kind of pick apart these cover twos and zones. And Irv, I don't know if it was the injury or what, he wasn't, didn't look to me to be the same physical athletic guy that he was before this meniscus injury, before the thumb injury. Um, coaches talk about how he wasn't as comfortable in the offense, um, but Hawkinson was here five days and he's doing that. So I think there was more to it than just the mental part of it. I think there was a physical aspect with Herb where he just didn't really look like the same game-breaking talent. And Hawkinson's a top-10 talent. He is a better talent even when you stack up the two when healthy. So I think Hawkinson's adding a much different skill set and dynamic, and they're going to use him now down the field. And that's just going to help open up things uh, for the other guys as well. And it's still a work in progress because they went – six punts, I think, and, and an interception in between their two scores to start that game. So the consistency is obviously still, you still want to see that come along. And, and I think it's a matter of time uh, when it comes individually with Hawkinson. Yeah. And the last, last point on, uh, on, on Hawkinson, did they, <clears throat> you know, as they, as you thought about watching that game, it would be hard to imagine them without Hawkinson or Irv Smith, right? I mean, they, I know they've had to at various points this year, but their offense, if you were thinking about the rest of this season without a, without a ta- without a tight end of that caliber, that just puts a lot of pressure on other guys in your team. It, it makes it makes a lot more sense to see him out there than to see him not not out there at this point. Yeah, I think it takes the pressure off Adam Thielen. It takes the pressure off KJ Osborne. It takes the pressure off who is going to be that second or third option. And I think in this offense, the talent wise, it's Jefferson and Cook. Right, those are the two most talented guys. And now Hawkinson has every right to be part of that two or three. And so that with Thielen at his age, with Osborne being very much just a complimentary slot receiver, um, you needed that game-breaking talent. And we saw it, too, in the contested catch situations where you could just lo- throw it up to Hawkinson. and He's going to come down with it. Justin Jefferson was too inconsistent in those moments on Sunday. Adam Thielen, at his age, has not been the same player in those situations. And so if you got another guy that Kirk can just trust to put it up there and not just have to so focus, like laser focus on Justin the way that they have in the past, um, Justin said yesterday, we're, we're going to be dangerous with, with TJ Hawkinson, and he knows why. Yeah, you, that's a good point. You showed me some numbers before we started recording. Hawkinson caught both of his contested catch opportunities on Sunday. Thielen was 0 for 2. He's 3 for 12 this season. And Jefferson, after a good start yesterday, missed a few as well. So you're right. The, the luxury of being able to throw to someone who's not necessarily open and expect that more often than not, or a lot of the times, at least they're going to come down with the ball and make a play. That's, you know, maybe that's something they only really had with Jefferson at this point in his career. And now they have that with Hawkinson as well. Yeah. And you see that across the league, whether it's your Mike Evans, your Travis Kelsey's, your Mark Andrews, your bigger targets, the luxury of not having to be wide open or be schemed open in today's NFL, I mean, if you can just be a physically bigger freak than the other guys covering you, that goes a long way. It really goes a long way. And it's a special talent to have in today's NFL. And, and the Vikings obviously did not have that before TJ. 
No, speaking of um, an emerging talent in this game on the defensive side of the ball, um, Cam Dantzler goes out uh, second quarter somewhere in there, and Caleb Evans plays most of the rest of the game. I think he had 46 defensive snaps. If I looked it up before we started recording, I believe that's the right number. It made it some plays in the run game. I think he had two tackles for a loss, had a pass defended. Seemed like he was in the frame a lot of times around the ball. Fourth round rookie, so you're not expecting a lot out of him. I know he's a little bit on the on the older side for rookie. I think he's 23, but he 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 surprised me with what he was able to do in this game, and they needed him. They really did. Yeah, he stepped in into that second quarter and made an immediate impact um, on fourth down, especially. I think that was the most impressive play, right? Fourth and short, you find yourself because of how the commanders line up. You are man-to-man against Terry McLaurin, their best wide receiver, and one of the best in the NFL. He follows them on a drag route, and he is able to stick his long arm in there and knock the ball away. That's the confidence that you're not used to seeing from a fourth-round rookie. That's the confidence you need at corner. And it's the skills that you can develop and mold over time. And it's he's shown some really promising stuff. And just how headstrong he is. In the running game, too. You brought up the two tackles for losses. On In this defense, they're going to play off a lot. Everybody knows that. Well, you need guys then who are unafraid to just crash 100 miles downhill, secure the perimeter on, on some of those runs, force the running backs back inside. And he's not just doing that. He's wrapping them up and taking them down. Um, that's a really good skill to have right now in this offense. And, and Cam Dantzler can do that, but I think he's been banged up and hasn't been doing that as much. And you see him, Evans, step in there and do that right away. And the age is a big thing, too. I think people are going to question, why is Andrew Booth not in there? Yeah. Andrew Booth, the second-round corner, he was one of the youngest, if not the youngest player in last year's NFL draft. He also missed a lot of time in training camp with injuries. has missed a lot of time in college with injuries. He also missed a stretch of the regular season with a quad injury. Um, coaches clearly don't trust that he's going to be consistent enough in those moments to go in there. That doesn't mean that he's not a guy long-term. It just means that you still very much got a project right there in Booth, and they feel that Evans can step up the way he did. And, and I think he proved him right. Evans did really well. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it, it does remind you, too, that, you know, Lewis Seen obviously lost to injury for the season, and, you know, he was the first-round pick, Booth a second-round pick. If they were hoping to get a lot of help in the secondary out of some of those early draft picks, they haven't yet. So that makes it especially important with some perilous depth back there. I mean, you know, Bynum, Bynum had missed the whole week with undisclosed personal matter, right? And he, he, but he ends up playing, and uh, and then um, obviously Harrison Smith's been in there most of the time. They've they've had relatively good health, but now with Dantzler out, needs some backup there. Yeah, Bynum, I think only ended up missing a practice or two. Um, but yeah, they, that was the big question, right? What's going to happen when the inevitable injury occurs? And we were always wondering, well. You know, Dancer's already a kind of a, a middling starter, somebody who had questions about. And for him to go down, what would you do then? And if you need guys like Evans, and you look back at the past when Vikings defenses were great, under Mike Zimmer, you had your Anthony Harris's emerge, your Eric Wilson's emerge. You need people from those late rounds and undrafteds to develop into those kind of pipeline guys. And if Evans is answering, I know it's early, it's one game, but if Evans is doing that already, it's showing you that, hey, Maybe you do have enough in the pipeline coming up to uh, sustain their defense here through the long stretch. Final thought as we think back on this game, the uh, on the lines, it was kind of a tale of two kind of a 
tale of two sides of the coin. The defensive line showed up well. Daniil Hunter gets into the party with a couple of sacks. The offensive line, though, against a very good Washington front, um, got a little bit pushed around. Kirk Cousins felt a lot of pressure in this game. He had to make a lot of, you know, in his face throws, especially that one nice long one to Jefferson where he got the wind knocked out of him. Um, what, what, uh, what, did, what's better? The, I guess maybe that's the wrong way to put it. Like, do you, are you more <clears throat> encouraged by the defensive line or discouraged by the offensive line coming out of this game? I think I'm more encouraged by the defensive line because I think. I don't think coaches are sitting at TCO Performance Center thinking the sky is falling on the interior offensive line. Yes, it was really rough for Ed Ingram, um, but those two defensive tackles are in Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen in Washington are probably the two best that they're going to face the entire regular season. I've at least rewatched every game they've played this year, and I haven't seen a duo that good. Um, and it, it wasn't just Ingram. It was Bradbury, it was Cleveland, whoever was trying to block them was having a hard time doing it. Um, and you brought up the screen game earlier with Hawkinson. There were a couple of those plays where it was those guys, the interior defensive linemen, who were just sniffing it out, throwing Ingram aside and tackling TJ Hawkinson. You do not see interior defensive linemen chasing screens down very often. And those guys are doing it regularly. So I think that's part of the problem with why the offense short-circuited at times. It was a bad matchup for the Vikings. The Vikings' weakness is their interior line. They can be average at times. They can be above average at times. But when they go up against one of the best duos in the league, um, you have to apologize for that a little bit and assume that it's not going to be that bad moving forward because we have seven games of evidence before to suggest, at least with Bradbury and Cleveland, it won't be that bad. You want to see some development from Ingram, but you can scheme ways around that when you're not facing those guys. Defensively, to do what they did without Dalvin Tomlinson, I thought was pretty impressive. To do that with James Lynch on the first play of the game, He's tossing an offensive lineman back and getting a run stop. Um, you want to see that from a guy who's stepping in for a starter. And I think it might have been his first NFL start for James Lynch in that moment. And then Daniil Hunter, for him to come online the way he did and get consistent pressure. If him and Zadarius can stay healthy, they get Dalvin Tomlinson back. Harrison Phillips has been playing well. Um, this is a pretty good defensive line, and it seems like they're kind of hitting their stride right about now. We'll see how they fare next week at Buffalo. Should be a good matchup there. The Buffalo just lost, and it sounds like Josh Allen might have a little bit of an elbow problem, so we'll see how that factors into the game. Is it the horseshoe again if uh, if he's not 100%? Guess who their backup is? Case Keenum, baby. Yep. Noted Stephon Diggs, baby. <laughs> a, reverse, uh, a reversal of the Minneapolis miracle. They can hope that that's not the case, but it should be a good game. Regardless, entering an interesting part of their schedule with Dallas and New England after this, but seven and one can't argue with that and uh, can't argue with Andrew's analysis. We'll do it again next week. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks. Postscript to my conversation with Andrew um, later in the day, Kevin O'Connell signaling that Cameron Dantzler likely out for Sunday's game in Buffalo. So we'll probably see more of Evans if that's the case intriguing we'll see if he can do it for a second straight game you know sometimes someone comes in they have a hot game they play well see if he can carry that confidence into the buffalo game and play as well i'm sure he'll get tested because uh you know that's what's what that's what happens in the nfl you got a, a rookie out there he's going to get tested buffalo's got a lot of skilled playmakers but like we talked about with josh allen he's, he's they're looking at maybe some ucl damage for josh for josh allen we'll see if he is able to play in that game as well if not could be old friend case keenum throwing the rock for the Bills. 
my least favorite team is my favorite team is the title of a book written by Keith Rashad, my very good friend, and also pretty much describes the four-quarter journey the Vikings have been taking you on for much of this season. But in the end, they have been winning, and they did it again, Keith, against Washington on Sunday. I already talked to Andrew Kramer about some of the finer points of that game, TJ Hawkinson, um, the emergence of some defensive players. What I want from you, sir, is some poetry, some vikus, five seven five to describe the seven and one team. Would you be willing to oblige me with some vikus today? I don't exactly know why you don't put the poetry before Andrew Kramer, but whatever. Just feels like it's better that way. I don't know why. Maybe some weeks it'll be you first, but it, it feels like if we, t- it's kind of like far, but whatever. It kind of feels like dinner and then dessert, right? Like Andrew and I are going to take care of the meat and potatoes of the game. Then you and I are going to have some pie, some vikus. A clutch Kirk Cousins. One of lots of things this year that's unexpected. Did you expect to see him wearing other people's chains on the uh, the flight home? He's been wearing teammates' chains. Did you see the picture of shirtless Kirk Cousins in his teammates' chains? I did see that. Is that a subject of a that. future Vaiku or not? I think. Well, I, I was thinking about that. Uh, <laughs> But I think that uh, we should all be thankful that uh, that that COVID is not transmitted by chains, right? <laughs> right. Have any, right. Any issues there? But it's it's been really sort of interesting to watch this transition. Yes. Right. Where all of a sudden he's he's winning, and he, he's doing things that seem unexpected for Kirk Cousins and the, his personality type, as it were. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah. It's about, you know, again, our, our theme has been thus far that here for a good time, not for a long time. And it seems like Kirk is buying into that uh, that philosophy as well, too. He's embracing it. And he's like, he got knocked around pretty good in that game. We're all Washington's got a pretty good front four and the interior of the offensive line did not hold up as well as it had in some of the previous games. So he took some shots, looked like he was under duress, especially for the middle part of that game, which has been, you know, the, the trouble spot for the Vikings, second quarter, third quarter has been the problem. And again, they, they trail 17-7 in the fourth quarter. And, you know, underrated play that Andrew and I didn't talk about, nor did uh, Patrick and I on Monday. But that uh, that play where could have been a pick six, but they call pass interference. And I think it was 17-7 at that point. They end up extending that drive, get points there. And ended up winning that game, but he made a lot of big throws. The one to uh, the Je- the one to Jefferson that that got him going in the fourth quarter, where he took a pretty big shot, um, getting that ball to Dalvin Cook, and you know getting him down the field for the the game winning field goal. He's been clutch in the fourth quarter. I think this is his fourth fourth quarter comeback of the season already. We have talked about how he has not been worth the value of his contract, and. That has been, he's, he's had great stats in previous seasons. He's put up all kinds of crazy numbers and things that you would expect of somebody who's getting paid what he's getting paid, but not the results. And then this year, I think everybody is, with maybe the possible exception of Kirk himself, everybody's happier with the results and the much lesser stats. And so yeah. it's just, it, this whole season has been one big, amazing surprise yes that um i 
man, I would not have put any money whatsoever of them having anything close to this level of success. And in fact, if I recall correctly, according to a certain prediction from a sports writer I saw, yes. they should lose their next nine games. They would have to, to lose. They would have to lose their next nine for my seven and ten prediction to be <laughs> correct. Um, so I don't. I'm not feeling. <clears throat> I'm not feeling as good about that. Um, a team that has a mathematical chance to clinch the division by Thanksgiving um, is probably not going to finish seven and ten. But we'll uh, we'll see about that. Do you do you have well, another? We'll see about your your wolves turning the corner prediction. Yeah, we'll we'll see about Remember that two too. Weeks won't we? or so we'll yeah. see about that um, too, won't we? We'll see. I, I feel <laughs> feel better about that one right now than I do about seven and ten. We'll just leave it at that. But uh, that's that's a story for another time. Vaiku two, please. All right, they managed to win even though they played two teams, pass interference. Oh, that play. How about that play? <clears throat> that was, uh, so what was it? It was 7-3 at that point. Taylor Heineke throws into triple coverage. Um, there's two safeties and a corner back there. He just gives it a good old heave-ho, and it uh, <laughs> Cam Bynum gets taken out by uh, the back judge. Back judge apologized to him, which is nice. It's something you can like, they can probably forgive a little bit more easily since they won the game. But I've never seen a more uh, a more blatant case of pass interference by the official. Have you? I don't. Well, I don't know that I have seen that, but I did see lots of cases of blatant pass interference, and that that play itself was crazy. But there were at least two other times when Kurt threw the ball to, I believe, Justin Jefferson in the end zone, which Justin did not catch because somebody was crawling all over him, right? And so it, it seemed like the refs were either not calling pass interference or committing it themselves, right? And you talked about the the one play where there was the pass interference where they brought the touchdown back. That yeah. was the one, you know, these things happen, right? But it was, it was one of those games where if they had lost, you can only imagine what the rhetoric about the referee would have been like. Yes. Because it, it wouldn't have been good. And it felt, I think for that reason, it felt probably more satisfying to a degree than some of these other close calls they've had. Like it, this was not a game where everything was going their way. This was, in fact, a game where I felt like the majority of things for the first three, three and a half quarters were going against them. Just the weird little things, especially that play we talked about with the official getting in the way. And to still be able to win a game like that, I don't think the Vikings of past vintages win a lot of those kinds of games where things are not. Oh, you don't think way. so? No, I don't think so. I think maybe they, yeah. you think maybe they dissolve in a bit of anger instead of uh, rallying at that point. This, this, this felt like one of those typical games where you have the look ahead to next week. Yep. You've got the tougher opponent and they trap just game, lay an they egg. Trap game. And, and they ended up winning this game in a way that you're absolutely right. They just have not done so many, many times no. in the past. No. Um, Vaiku 3, please. Okay. The day that I die will be because of this team. Weekly heart attacks. <laughs> Hopefully not this specific team. Maybe the Vikings of a far distant vintage will will finish you off and send you shuffling off this mortal coil but uh, i i do believe uh i do believe that uh this team what going back to last year i feel like they've played 
like 80% of their games have been decided by one score or less. Like they've, this, this has been like more than a year, a year and a half of this kind of back and forth. You don't know who's going to win till the final three minutes or sometimes three seconds of the game. So they're not an, they're not an easy watch. Obviously the difference this year is that they're winning these games, which makes it more satisfying in the end. Um, revives you after the heart attack. But uh, yeah, point taken. Uh, as we've established plenty of times, I watched the, the Supercut 45-minute yes. version. I don't know how any human being watches this team over the course of three hours anymore. Right? I do it. it. Just, I do it every week. It was tough enough watching the, the real quick, rapid 40-minute play-by-play cut of this game where you're just getting angry and frustrated and watching this team not have any success and and think to yourself, oh, this offense is supposed to be so great and, and they just traded for this tight end who's supposed to be the, the big piece to help them start moving and doing what they're supposed to do on offense and and they're just stuck in the mud and they look terrible and everybody has figured out that you send 43 guys at Kirk Cousins because the line can't protect them and there's enough enough disruption that that they just do not play very well under those circumstances but then somehow some way each and every week because there's something different about this team that I can't identify but that I am appreciating Yes, they are winning these games, and and it just brings you through. It, it it's it, to use a a phrase uh, from a, a poet laureate. It is a glass case of emotion, right? And you're just going back and forth, and and cannot. It, it, it's a lot. It's a lot. They are a lot. They're extra. <clears throat> I can't. I still can't. Kind of. Kind of. Still can't believe. Haven't fully come to the terms with the fact that they are. Seven and one, and leading the division by four and a half games at this moment. Um, sir, do you have a, a final vaiku for us? Yes. Which do I like more, Vikes wins or Packers losses? Why not enjoy both? It's been five weeks in a row, six weeks in a row. You've gotten, but you've been able to enjoy both. That's the crazy thing, right? Like every week, it's like, ah, the Vikings won, Packers lost, and now they're a game and a half up. No. Vikings won and Packers lost two and a half, three and a half, four. Now four and a half. Packers lose to the Lions. Aaron Rodgers throws some of the worst passes I've ever seen him throw, including uh, what looked like an air ball and a free throw uh, where he threw an interception in the end zone the other day, um, trying to throw a pass to David Bakhtiari. You know the offense is not going well when you're intercepted in the end zone trying to throw a pass to your uh, tackle-eligible best friend. So... Not going great for them, but I, I feel like you should enjoy both. You, you do you. You you fully run the gamut, run the spectrum of emotions, enjoy it all. Well, and you say they're up four and a half, but when I look at the standings, right, I see that they're up by five full games in the loss column. Yes. And since they have a game in hand on everybody in the division, you could say that's even six games that they're up. And, and so I like to take an even more positive approach to this and you. say they're basically six games up in the division. It's a new you. It's a new you. <laughs> it's, I know it's a little different, but they could lose. It would take them losing six games at this point in time to lose the division. And that would also require either the Bears or the Packers winning six games 
out of the last nine. Six out of the last nine. Six out of the last nine. I want you to hear me. Six out of the last nine, Mm -hmm. right, for them to lose this particular division. So four and a half doesn't fully encapsulate just how much they have this division in hand right now. And it's beautiful because the Packers keep losing and Aaron Rodgers looks like a guy who is four months away from retirement and does not care right that has had enough and just wants to to get out of here and in one respect you you almost kind of sort of feel bad for him because he has been very good and this team that 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 team i should say has not done him any favors whatsoever no and and but he's such a goofball and that team is so hateful that you really can't feel sorry for him Looking forward just, to the, uh, there's been the inevitable, uh, should they turn to Jordan Love stories already, which yes. amuses me. But I, you know what, if you're a Vikings fan of any vintage, you, you, you don't feel secure until the season's over or until whatever moment it is that the Packers are eliminated. I don't care if they're three and six, you are always wary of them, no matter how bad they're playing, because Aaron Rodgers has done it before. I don't think this is the team that's going to suddenly do that. I, I don't think they're very good. But you don't feel good until they're they're completely gone. Yeah, I see. I have decided to abandon that position. Wow! Look at right? you. You this I'm, is a totally new you. I'm calling them dead in the water. Wow! And just an awful team, and I'm looking forward to uh, dancing on their graves. I'm putting my shoes on right now. Putting my dancing shoes on right now, so I can dance on their grave because they are awful and they're not going to win anything. And I don't care if these words come back to bite me because. Uh, nobody listens to this segment of the podcast anyway. Not true. So not not true. Gonna... We have fans. We have lots of fans. <laughs> so I don't feel I'm going to suffer any consequences about it because, uh, but they, they they are just awful. And the, this division belongs to this team. Just as yeah. we all expected. And if the Vikings are here for a good time, but not a long time, the Colts are here for a weird time. It seems like. Firing Frank Reich is one thing. They were off to an underachieving start, but then going and hiring Jeff Saturday, um, Colts legend, but yes, somebody with no coaching experience beyond high school, uh, Jim Ursay with a very, very peculiar move, um, raising a lot of questions, a lot of heads being scratched all around the NFL um, just watching watching that all unfold has been rather humorous. They gave a rather uh, strange news conference on Monday as well. Ursay calling Saturday fully capable and fully experienced enough, saying, want to bet against this guy? Put your money down. I'd love to see it because I know what he's about. Uh, problem is Colts don't even know who's going to be calling their plays on Sunday because they fired all of those assistants as well. So yeah, interesting, uh, interesting to see how that all works out for them. A rather haphazard, um, a haphazard situation in in uh, in in Indianapolis. And like I said at the beginning, maybe makes you wonder if Jim Jim Ursay is going to uh, next go after buying Twitter. Let's finish with the cooler. Miguel Sano, the era is over. Not uh, not entirely unexpected at all, but he gets a buyout from the Twins. He had been with the organization for 13 years. Great expectations, some great moments, but overall just did not pan out here uh, over the long haul. Just you know, has a lot of you know 
a lot of records that are maybe inglorious, including the second most strikeouts in Twins history. I think in Phil Miller's story saying he was the fastest to 1,000 strikeouts in Major League history. So it does feel like the end of an era, closing of a book of uh, of all the optimism you had with Miguel Sano and Byron Buxton in 2015 and all they represented. They still have not won even a single playoff game together, and that will be up to Byron Buxton to carry forth that legacy by himself without Miguel Sano. And again, foregone conclusion after the way 2022 went, but again, something that you uh, you just wouldn't have imagined seeing when this started in 2015. So Twins turning the page on that, and we'll see where they go with the rest of the roster. Should be more Twins talk later on this week on the podcast as well. That will do it for today. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Back at it again on Wednesday.